Good morning to Christ Church uh, family, and uh, good morning to a winning nation. Yeah. <laughs> um, my name is Marishka Peter, and I am part of the Friday Life Group, led by Martha, on a Fridays at 6 p.m. in the hall upstairs. Uh, today, as a proud South African and a child of God, I am here to read uh and bring us the Bible reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 6 to 12. Chapter 7, 6 to 12. Do not give dogs what holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Listen, they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Ask and it will be given to you. Our Heavenly Father, we come asking this morning. And we're aware that what we need more than anything is to be with you, to have more of you, to have our vision of you expanded. And so we pray, Father, that you will give us yourself this morning. Help us to behold the Father, the glory of the Father, in the face of Jesus Christ and in the power of his Spirit. We pray this in his name. Amen. We want to spend a little bit of time thinking about trust. And I'm not talking about the kind of trust we exercised last night. Trusting Hundre to make the kick, uh, Cheslin to score the try if he had. Uh, trusting Peter Steph to make those tackles, Sia to lead the boys to victory. Uh, I know it felt like life and death, but of course we know how fleeting uh, those victories can be. Just ask Sam Kane. I'm not talking about the ordinary superficial level of trust that's absolutely necessary to us functioning as a society. So I'm not talking about the kind of trust that says if this robot is red or if this robot is green, that one's going to be red. We're not talking about that level of trust. We're talking about something deeper. When your back is to the wall, who do you call for help? And I'm not hoping, when I ask you that question, I'm not hoping for the right Sunday school answer. I'm I'm asking about real life. I'm asking about your life. Not in theory, but in practice. Because it's our actions that betray what we really believe. Not merely what we confess with our lips, but what we really believe. So who do you trust? In your everyday decision making or in your moments of deepest need, in your moments of crisis, who do you trust? Is it your immediate family? 
that close circle of long-standing friends, who gets the call? Is it your security company? Is it your insurance broker? When you are stuck, who do you go to for advice? Who do you listen to? For a certain generation here, it might be Oprah or her sidekick, Dr. Phil. It might be Jordan Peterson. It might be your favorite podcaster or YouTube influencer. Who do you trust? Where are you investing your trust? Where do you go to feel safe when you don't feel safe? Is it your financial security? Is it your children and all the hope that they represent? Is it your parents and all the security that they represent? Is it your own ability to overcome your track record of getting the job done? Your history of achievement, your, your history of overcoming adversity, making a plan, a burmaka plan. Do you buy into that back of the taxi bumper sticker wisdom, trust no one? Seen the sign? Trust no one. That's just another way of saying trust yourself. Or a burmaka plan. I mean, that could be the subtitle. Trust no one, a burmaka plan. Are you looking for security in a legacy, in making a difference, leaving a mark like scratching your name into a tree or into the plaster of the Colosseum in Rome? Did you hear about that guy, that Englishman who carved his fiancé's name into the Colosseum at Rome? Cost him 20,000 euros. I hope she's stuck with him. He's committed. There goes the ring, but he's committed. How do you know that you're safe, that you matter? Where do you go to prove it? In the movie Collateral, uh, this is not an endorsement, just, uh, just one thing I found interesting in the movie. Tom Cruise plays the role of Vincent the hitman. Jamie Foxx is Max the taxi driver. Max is good at understanding people. Vincent is good at killing people. And so, of course, as they drive around, worlds collide. And they they get into a conversation on the meaning of life. And it goes like this. I'll just read from the script. Remember, Max is the taxi driver, good at understanding people. Vincent, the hitman, good at killing people. So here's Max. Why didn't you just kill me and find another cab? Vincent, because you're good. We're in this together. You know, fates intertwined, cosmic coincidence, all of that junk. Max, you are full of it. Vincent, I'm full of it. I'm full of it. You're a monument of it. You even fooled yourself that all I'm doing is taking out the garbage, bad guys killing bad guys. Max, because that's what you said. Vincent, and you believe me? Max, what did they do? Vincent, how do I know? But they've all got that witness for the prosecution look about them. Max, that's the reason? That's the reason you killed them? Vincent, that's the why. There is no reason, no good reason, no bad reason to live or to die. Max, then what are you? Vincent, indifferent. Get with it. Get over it. 
millions of galaxies of hundreds of millions of stars and a speck on one in a blink. That's us. Lost in space. The universe doesn't care who dies. You, me, who even notices? In that world, who do you trust? If you are a disciple of Jesus here this morning, if you are a citizen of his kingdom, he has a whole lot to say on the, trop- on the topic of trust. And he has a whole lot to say in the verses that we just read. I'm sure you will agree with me. He starts in a very strange place. Did this catch your attention? Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. What on earth does that mean? And what does it have to do with trust? A little bit of context will help us here. It was common in the Jewish tradition of Jesus' day to refer to their Roman occupiers as dogs and pigs. It was also common for the Jewish people of Jesus' day to be tempted to give their trust and their allegiance to the Roman Empire. Matthew's gospel itself was written by a man called Levi who actually collected taxes for Rome. Jesus would often have dinner with people like Levi because they were considered traitors. They were on the outside, the margins, and Jesus loved to go to people on the margins. People like Levi sold out. They sold out to the dogs and the pigs. If we have any kind of empathy whatsoever, we can understand why. Why they sold out. Rome had all the money. Rome had all the power. They literally had the power of life and death. In the end, it was Rome who decided that Jesus would die. Who wouldn't be tempted to give their allegiance to Rome? Everyone was a Jew in theory. But in practice, many were citizens of Rome. On the Sabbath, in the synagogue, everyone was loyal to God and to his Torah. But in practice, many were trusting Rome. Rome was where they got their bread. And so Jesus warns them, don't give what is holy and precious, your trust, your allegiance. Don't give it to Rome. Don't give it to dogs and pigs because they will trample on it. They will turn on you and tear you apart. That's his warning. And of course it makes perfect sense. If you gave your loyalty to Rome, they only returned the favor for as long as it made political sense, for as long as it was expedient, for as long as you were useful to them, for as long as you served the interests of the empire. The whole Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was a peace underwritten by violence. That's what the crucifixion was. It says, we are your friends, so long as you keep in line. So long as you serve the empire. Otherwise, this is what waits for you. That's what Jews of Jesus' day were compromising with. It was a cruel master who could turn on them at any point. And so Jesus warns them, don't invest your trust and your allegiance there. 
He gives us the very same warning this morning. Don't put your trust in the world, in earthly things. Vincent is right. Vincent the hitman. This world is cold, hard, and a fundamentally disinterested place that will turn on you and trash your precious trust, your allegiance in an instant. You put your trust in celebrities or ideologies or psychologists or conventional wisdom, it'll come back to bite you one way or another. So Oprah has an affair. Jordan Peterson has an opioid addiction. Trevor Noah tells a set of horribly misogynistic jokes. You and I are tempted to swear allegiance to the world all the time in a whole myriad of ways. Love is love. You do you. All roads lead to the top of the mountain. But that trust, if we place our trust there, that trust will be repaid by broken relationships and alienated individuals and ultimately the fire of hell. We know this. Russia can invade the Ukraine on a whim. The Middle East can explode at a moment's notice. Your company can retrench. Your broker can run away with the money. Your family can disown you. Your your spouse, even your spouse, can leave you. Your political party can betray your values. Your security company can get there five minutes too late. Don't put your ultimate trust in the things of this world. Don't give the world your deepest allegiances. Don't give the world your heart. At some point, it will trample your trust underfoot. It will turn on you and tear you apart. That's his warning. But we're still stuck with our original question. If not the world, where do we invest our trust? Look at verse 7. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to get Give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Who should you trust? Jesus' short answer, trust your heavenly Father who loves to give His children good things. Trust Him. How do you show that trust? How do you express that trust? Jesus' short answer, pray. Pray. Ask. Seek. Knock. Prayer. As one pastor puts it, we exercise our trust as the burning pursuit of God in prayer. The burning pursuit of God in prayer. Is that how you would describe your relationship with God? A burning pursuit of Him in prayer. Is a burning pursuit of prayer the burning pursuit of your heavenly Father in prayer, 
who loves to give good gifts, is that how you think about your relationship with God? I know that as soon as we talk about prayer, there are some objections in this room. So let's deal with them because we've all been there. We all, we've all grappled with these objections. At some point in our Christian walk, we have grappled with these objections. I'll be very surprised if there are not many who are not grappling with these objections this morning. First objection, God doesn't answer my prayers. Prayer doesn't work. God doesn't answer my prayers. Is that true? What if the answer he gives is no? What if the answer he gives is wait? Then when we say God doesn't answer prayer, what we're really saying is, I don't like the answer. Those are not the answers I would give. What we're really saying is, I actually think I should be God. I think I'd do a better job. But if that's what we think, then that's what we must say. We can't say he doesn't answer prayer just because we don't like the answer. It's not the same thing. And remember, God is a good father. And as a good father, he has only promised to give us things that are good for us. That's what Jesus is saying. He doesn't say God will give us anything we ask for. Look at verses 8 and 9. Let's flip them around. If a child asks for a stone to eat or a snake to play with, any father, even a sinful father, even a fallen, fragile, frail, fallible human father will say no. I'm not going to let you break your teeth on a stone or treat this viper as a plaything. Your toddler, for those of you who have lived that joy or are living it, your toddler doesn't like it when he wants to stick his finger into the plug point and you say no, no. But you say no anyway. At least I hope you do. Your teenage daughter doesn't like it when she wants to stay over at her boyfriend's house and you say no. But you say no anyway. Even with the tantrum, you say no. At least I hope you do. How much more must our Heavenly Father, who is perfectly good and who has perfect insight into His children and loves them with a perfect love, how much more must he say no in order to protect us? In order to give us the life that is truly good, truly abundant, truly full. From his perfect perspective, which is the eternal perspective. How much more must he have to say no from time to time? So I'm not going to give you career success. Because I know it will ruin your marriage. I'm not going to give you that promotion because I know you and that kind of power will corrupt you. I'm not going to lift this burden of suffering just yet. Because the suffering is making you more like Jesus. You can't see it. But it's making you more like Jesus. And I want to use you as an instrument of my compassion for others. 
and you, you can't see it now, but that is the blessed life. And when you taste it, you will know it's good. And so I'm not going to lift this burden of suffering just yet. No is an answer. Wait is an answer. Yes is also an answer. And it's an answer that he so often gives. If we were to do a survey right now, the testimony of the people gathered in this room would be of prayers answered with a yes. Thousands and thousands of prayers answered with a yes. We have a Father in heaven who loves, delights in giving his children good gifts. It gives him joy to give his children good gifts. There's one gift he wants to give us above all else. One gift that far outweighs anything else he has to give. Listen to how Luke records the very same portion of Jesus' sermon. He just gives us a little more detail. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The gift that God really wants to give, the gift that he wants you to have more than anything else in all the world is the gift of himself. He wants to give you himself. He wants you to have the spirit of Christ living in you in increasing measure so that you can have more fellowship with Christ, so that you can be drawn closer, deeper into the life, the blessed life of the eternal Father, loving the Son in the bond of the Spirit for all of eternity. That's what he wants you to have. And in that process to become more like Christ. Jesus prayed non-stop. He prayed all the time. And his life was full of joy and peace and love. Even in the face of unspeakable opposition and hatred and hostility and suffering. Don't we want that? Don't we want a life full of joy and peace and love that is completely impervious to our circumstances? Don't we want a life of joy and peace and love that is unshakable? That's what your Father wants for you. He will give you anything that helps you with that. Prayer works. It works. Second objection. God already knows. Prayer is a waste of time. Why am I praying if he already knows? Again, let's just think about the ordinary father-son, father-child relationship. Parents of small children, grandparents of small children, uncles and nieces of small children. You've seen this, you know this. Parents of small children know what their children need. 
You know, if you're a parent of a small child, you know what your child needs. Does that mean you don't want them to come to you and talk to you and tell you all about it? You don't want them to come because you already know. You don't want them to come and tell you their little problems. Of course not. You want to hear it. Not so that you can be informed. So that you can be involved. You love them. You want them to tell you all about it. Even if you already know. Of course you already know. But you want them to tell you. How much more our Heavenly Father. He wants us to come to Him in prayer. Not so that He can be informed. It's so that He can be involved. It's how He relates to us. By listening to us. And you know it's not surprising. That's how we relate to each other. And He made us. Listening and speaking are His idea. It's how he relates to us. He relates to us as a father. He wants to hear from us, not so that he can be informed, so that he can be involved. Something for us to bear in mind, even in human communication, speaking often does more to change the one who is speaking than the one who is listening. Speaking is actually how we understand ourselves. When you have to say it out loud, you finally, you finally realize what it is you're actually saying. Articulating it helps us understand what it is we're actually thinking. How much more so in prayer? Prayer doesn't change God because God doesn't change. He is already perfectly loving, has perfect insight into your heart, full of perfect compassion and grace. That's not going to change. Prayer doesn't change him, but it does change us. It does change us. And so to paraphrase one pastor, when you go to God with your requests, the question is not whether he's ready to give. The question is, are you ready to receive? Like Jacob, who wrestled with God for his blessing. But it wasn't quite the blessing he expected, was it? What is this great blessing that he got? A dislocated hip. That was the blessing. But that dislocated hip was a constant reminder of his humble dependence on God. Jacob, who had been trying to manipulate God and everyone else around him all his life, finally came to realize that the only way to relate to God is to trust him. It's the only way. And that gift is for anyone who pursues God in prayer. Is prayer a waste of time? Not if you want a deeper relationship with your father through his son and in the power of his spirit. Not if you want to be changed into the likeness of Christ. Back to our original question. Are we a burning pursuit of God in our prayers? D.A. Carson offers us a way to assess ourselves. The child, and I quote, the child with the extravagant but thoughtless father approaches him with arrogance and lays down his next demand, knowing that he will not be refused. The child with the stingy, ill-tempered, and abusive father will seldom ask for anything, 
fearing another meaningless beating. The child with the kind, gentle, and firm father does not fear to ask him for things. But deep down, he enjoys the assurance that his father will not give him something that is not in his own best interests. Did you hear that? We have a father in heaven. We can approach him with that kind of assurance, the assurance that knows that he loves to give us good gifts, but only good gifts. That kind of assurance. And how do we know that he loves to give us good gifts and only good gifts? He's already given us himself. He has given us himself. He has given us his son. He has given us his spirit. As disciples, let's be a burning pursuit of God in prayer. The question is not why would we? The question is why wouldn't we? Jesus says to us, don't put your trust in the world. Don't do it. The world will either give you things that are not good for you, or it will give you good things for a while, only to betray your trust and rip them away from you, leaving you devastated later on. Don't put your trust in earthly things. Don't put your trust in the world. Trust your heavenly Father who loves to give you good things, who delights in giving you good things. And only good things. And if you do, if you do put your trust in your heavenly Father, if you are a a burning pursuit of God in prayer, this is what follows. Look at verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. With this statement, Jesus is concluding this part of his sermon, but it also relates to what he's just said. He's saying, he's saying that your Father in heaven loves to give good gifts to others. If you are his child, then you will bear the family likeness. When your trust is in your Father, you too will love to give good gifts to others. Because you're in the family, he's your Father. And when you do, when you do give good gifts to others, you are keeping his promises. It's the fulfillment of the whole law and the prophets. It's what you were made for. And it's the good life. We were made, we were made to love God. When we do, that love will overflow in our lives to our neighbor. That's A summary of today's passage. That's a summary of the law and the prophets. That's a summary of what Jesus came to do. It's a summary of his sermon. Now, when we think about what he's actually calling us to, look at verse 12 again. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It's no wonder that the previous verse has us praying because this is absolutely impossible without God. Not so. This is a radical call. And in fact, in this very same sermon, Jesus extends this call to include our enemies. Verse 12 includes your enemies. Whatever you wish that your enemy would do to you, do also for them. We have to love our enemies. That's radical. But it's also so incredibly powerful. 
We know this. We've tasted the power of this. This is what our king did for us. When he loved you, he loved an enemy. This is what our king did for us, and it changed our lives forever. We have tasted the power of this call. It's no wonder he wants us to do the same for others. Now, that's all well and good. And in theory, we're all saying amen. Remember, everybody's a Jew in theory. But think about your enemy. Actually, call that person to mind. You are at odds with someone. You are involved in some, perhaps it's a long-standing, bitter conflict. Picture that person in your mind, in your heart. Now ask yourself, how would he want to be treated? Or how would you want to be treated if you were him, in his shoes? What is the best, what is in the best possible interests of this individual? If I genuinely wanted the best of all possible outcomes for this person, what would I do? How would I want to be treated if I was him? And when you have an answer, go and do that thing. Do you see how powerful it is? Behold the power of love. If we actually do this thing, it'll change the world. I can say with conviction, if Israel and the Palestinians were doing this thing, there wouldn't be mass killings and a ground invasion. And if we do this thing in our own lives, it'll change the world. Or rather, we will be witnessing to our king who has already changed the world with his love. Go and try it. If you are afraid or reluctant like I am, ask your Father in heaven to give you the strength and the courage and the opportunity to try it. He loves to give good gifts, and that is a good gift he would love to give. And finally, do you see how verse 12, do you see what verse 12 does in the context of our whole passage? Do you see what it does? It gives us an alternative to trusting the world. We don't have to trust the world, but we must love the world. That sums it all up. What is Jesus saying to us this morning? He says, don't trust the world. Trust your Father and love the world. I think it's fitting that we end in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have had such a wonderful reminder this morning that you are a good father. And we praise you for it. We thank you for every good gift that you've given us. Too many to count, too many to number. So often they go unnoticed and unacknowledged. We praise you this morning. We thank you for every good gift you've given us. We thank you for saying no when what we want is not going to be good for us. 
Thank you for giving us the gift of all gifts. Thank you for Jesus. Help us, Father. Help us by your Spirit. Help us to put all our trust and allegiance in him. Keep us from trusting the world. Help us to love the world instead. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.